Bretto, the first 200 tickets to the 2018 Wellness Summit sold out in less than 24 hours. Can you believe it? Oh, MP, it's awesome that our Wellness Coach fans are as excited about the return of the Wellness Summit as we are. If you've been hiding under a kale smoothie, Zazen Alkaline Water presents the return of the Wellness Summit on August 25 and 26 in Melbourne. And for one week only, we have 100 seats at a crazy two-for-one special. That's right, MP. Not only do 100 lucky listeners get two tickets for the price of one, but they also receive the digital recordings of the 2018 Summit and all of our previous events. Gee whiz, that's a lot of value, Bretto. That's over $1,400 in value, MP, and all for just $297. That's two tickets for the price of one for two days of powerhouse wellness. That's less than $10 an hour to attend the wellness event of the year. Oh, enough of the number crunching, MP. These 100 tickets are only available this week until Saturday, May 19, or until sold out, whatever happens first. For tickets, the speaker lineup, and all info, go to thewellnesssummit.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hi there, lovely listeners. Thanks so much for joining us this week on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And this week we are diving into our part two of our discussion about menopause. And we covered this a couple of weeks back and there was uh, a lot of feedback on, I guess, from people who are experiencing menopause or daughters of, you know, mothers with menopause. And it was really great to see that it's touched on a key area that so many women want to know more about. So we already promised a part two, but that really sort of turned it action sooner than later, which means today we're going to cover the important topics that we didn't discuss the first time around. We're going to go through some of the major signs and symptoms of uh, menopause, including a really dive deep into the whole experience of uh, hot flashes. And we're also going to discuss something that we haven't talked about yet on any of our podcasts, really diving into the, I guess, the pros, the cons, and the conversations surrounding hysterectomies. And we know that for a lot of women, that's, you know, almost like the the big scary idea about the surgery, but then for some women, they see it as the only way out of their crisis. Uh, so we really want to discuss, you know, a lot about that. And then another thing that comes from this uh, area of menopause, we've noticed a lot of conversation regarding things like the effect it has on self-confidence, self-esteem, and we're going to cover a lot of those things today. So first of all, we're going to dive into our uh, in the spotlight question for this week. So Andrew, what uh, what have we got this week? Uh, so this comes from Dee, and Dee is uh, quite relevant, actually. She's asking about hysterectomies, and essentially she wants to know pros and cons. Uh, she has had a history of fibroids and really, really heavy bleeding, and now that she is menopausal, her doctors are pretty much just telling her that this is a good option for her. She just, you know, should have a hysterectomy because she doesn't need these reproductive organs necessarily anymore, and I think that this is a really 
um, critical time for us to dive into this. And I think that we could certainly do an entire episode all onto itself about hysterectomies. Um, but today we're going to put it into the context of menopause as well and just give you a bit of an understanding of why that's important. Um, so, uh, Dee, hang on to your hats because we will we'll talk you through some of that during the episode. Hey, I want to just remind everybody that any of you in WA or in Perth, we are doing the very final gut movie screening uh, Monday the 21st of May uh, and that is coming up really soon so what's that in 11 days now from when we're recording this um, if you haven't got your tickets to see the movie please make sure you do because all of the last three screenings that we've done have all sold out we will be there as per usual we're doing the Q&A we're hosting the event so come and hang out with us for the night that's always good fun and we love meeting all of you so if you haven't got your tickets for the gut movie make sure you do it will all be relevant to everything we always talk about because so much of your health is critical for and that comes from having excellent gut health okay so that's my little plug for the gut movie yeah and and it's been amazing hasn't it (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it has been and you know what it is actually such a great film like I just can't believe the incredible job that Kale did with it it really is awesome and the feedback we've had from people has been so good there have been people who have been coming and watching it a couple of times I think I've seen it like three or four times now um, and I've really really enjoyed it uh, so make sure you do come along um, and I still laugh at the poo scene so <laughs> oh I know there's so much cringe worthy stuff in it but also but so it, much of the the material is just fantastic and it totally um, makes uh, a big complex topic like gut health very simple and i think that's the beauty of what kale's done with this has taken such a, a massive um i guess lengthy topic and condensed it in a way that goes oh that makes sense so yeah, yeah ladies if you have not seen or you want to know more about your gut health or how gut health fits into the picture of you know overall health and well-being then please make sure if it's not to our our screening here in perth get yourself to at least another one uh, across australia he's sticking to the east coast for the time being so if you haven't had a chance to see the gut movie make sure you do but let's get on to our menopause episode today i think uh for where we're going to kick off because we've got to kind of tie this into our part one that we did so if you haven't listened ladies uh, i ha- we do have a bit of a confession to make now usually if we do a part one and a part two episode we will try and record them back to back now just as you know life has it this has not been able to happen this time around so we are recording both of these episodes um quite far apart and because I also cannot listen to any of our episodes because I cannot go back and listen to my own voice. I promised I would do it one day, but I can't do it yet. Um, I'm relying on uh, my memory for what we covered in the last episode. So if I do repeat myself, I, uh, I apologize for that. But just think of it as um, just an essential key little pointer that you need a revision on. Uh, I think that's probably a good way to listen to it, uh, to take it. And uh, ladies, if you're jumping in and you haven't uh, listened to part one of this episode, I would definitely go back and start with that because we really lay the foundations for some really key um, facts there. And I think the biggest feedback that we got from that is that the hope that we actually gave to women that menopause doesn't mean the end of your youth and the end of, you know, all things juicy and fun and, you know, you're not going to be a dried up old prune once you get to this time in your life, which most women and most people do actually associate with that because we just put so much, you know, value on youth. Um, And I think one of the really kind of interesting things, and I was thinking about this the other day, is that we are actually one of the very few animals that live past their reproductive potential. Like, how cool is that? So this is actually a really important 
milestone in a woman's life. So it's the end of that reproductive time and the burden of that as well. And it really is the awakening of new possibilities and it's a new era. So it can either be for some women a change with just minimal disruption and minimal symptoms or it can be wrought with significant suffering as well. But there are so many things that you can do to avoid that suffering and to make sure that it is that springtime of your life and that awakening into this amazing new era. How good does that sound? Pretty good, I think. Okay. <laughs> I was like, is that a rhetoric question? Do you want me to jump in and answer that? <laughs> and uh, Ash and I are usually like both on video so we can kind of see what see when each other's going to jump in. But for some reason, mine's not working, but hers is. Um, so we just love those like technical difficulties and all these crazy things that happen behind the scenes. But anyway. All right, let's get let's get real. Let's get this on track then. So what we wanted to talk about was menopause is not just that um, time in which you no longer have your menstrual periods. I think that's something that, you know, while someone will celebrate that, unfortunately, along with that, the symptoms that a lot of women experience make it a time that we actually dislike more than celebrate. So I think, um, you know, for most women, you, you straight away, as soon as you think of menopause, you start thinking of things like hot flushes. You start thinking... Thinking of things like, you know, the dryness of skin and drying out, just that, um, you know, description that Andrew had, you know, like a prune, like that lack of suppleness. Certainly a lot of women then start to notice things like sleeplessness and having major issues with their sleep. It does affect our reproductive organs, of course, obviously. And that means things like lowered libido. So, you know, decreased sex drive, such as things like, you know, vaginal dryness, um, because the vagina can be becoming literally thinner and less flexible. So, you know, less enjoyment with sex as well. And of course, then some of the other side effects that may be experienced as well is uh, increased reports of incontinence. So getting that bladder irritability or worsening of bladder control issues you may have already had. Um, and on top of all that, you get the the great joy, not so, of things like the emotional changes, you know, irritability, mood swings, and even some women experiencing degrees of depression or worsening of depressive conditions they've experienced so it's really very challenging and i think we really want to dispel a couple of myths particularly around things like hot flashes so andrew let's dive firstly into that because i think for a lot of women the first thought about menopause is breaking out into horrendous sweats and having major temperature control issues and you know feeling embarrassed in public places when they're you know suddenly drowning in sweat and their clothes are all sticking to them what um you know what's going on here yeah, okay. And that is a really good point because that is one of the most common symptoms that women who are going through menopause or that midlife transition experience. And up to 80% of women will experience this, um, but it also depends on where you live as well. So in Western society, a lot of women experience hot flushes a lot more than what they do in, say, some Eastern cultures, which I think is quite interesting. And that also speaks to the cultural associations that we have with menopause and this transition as well. And I'm going to come back to why that's important because it's all to do with the stress that we place on ourselves that that makes this a lot worse than what it could be. Um, So the hot flushes are what we categorise as, it's called a vasomotor symptom. Um, And it's not just something where there's a, a withdrawal of hormones that is actually creating this. 
So the vasomotor symptoms are caused by, yes, an estrogen withdrawal, but not just because of that. And it is also because the type of estrogen has changed, but as well as how this actually impacts our central control system, so and our central androgenergic symptom, which our system, I should say, which is essentially like our adrenaline and our noradrenaline neurotransmitter signaling system. So these are the this is the part that we associate with that stress response as well. So it doesn't occur just because of the low level estrogen. That's a myth. So what actually happens when we go through times of stress, we get this elevation of noradrenaline. So, and this is released, you know, purely due to that stress response. And there is a direct link with elevated cortisol, again, another one of those stress hormones and increased hot flashes as well. So women will report an increased severity and intensity of hot flashes in times of stress. Um, And also whenever they're, Uh, kind of experiencing or associating triggers that also induce that same stress response, which is really interesting. So things like smoking, caffeine, um, alcohol, changes in room temperature because that actually changes um, like that hypothalamic control center as well, which is what's going to induce that like vasomotor symptom and then spicy foods as well. Uh, A lot of uh, books and resources will say that exercise actually decreases the incidence of hot flushes. That's not actually true, but we don't want to not advocate for exercise because that can be really essential for this time in midlife, particularly as our hormones change. So too can that influence on our bone health. So we want to make sure that we keep moving our bodies and we, you know, keep having that weight-bearing exercise as well. But what we do know, and just to wrap up that, that sort of uh, why the hot flushes are happening in the first place, that it's a deficit in that control system that is a direct response to stress. And that is probably like the most simple way I can put that. And if you listen to part one of um, the wisdom of uh, menopause 101, you'll remember that we talked about the women who do menopause the best are the ones who take really good care of their adrenal glands. And remember, that's part of that stress control system as well. So if you've got really good adrenal tone, that really good HPA access, um, you know, control systems, then you're going to have a much lower incidence of hot flushes as well. And that certainly corresponds, you know, with that transition, that life transition where it goes from being that that mother, that carer into a phase where, you know, kids are supposed to be out of the home and it's now time to look after yourself, your own interests and live your own life again. Um, and we talked about, you know, why at this stage, it typically most women are still running so high stress. It's because often they're still career driven. Um if it's not career, it's family basis, and that family mm-hmm. can be no longer children but grandchildren instead. And so they're still taking this high degree of responsibility and stress-inducing uh, activities, and that's often the reason, ladies, why these uh, symptoms are exacerbated because you just aren't slowing down enough to give yourself the space to adapt and transition through this period in your life. Exactly. And it's that consistent self-sacrificing and living for everybody else without sort of putting yourself first. And when that is happening, this is your body giving you that big smack in the face and telling you to actually start, like you said, living for yourself. And it's interesting as well, because uh, in society nowadays, a lot of women are choosing to have children a lot later. 
So that means that while their children are younger or maybe teenagers, they're actually experiencing experiencing that menopausal change where there is still that very intensive demand from their family as well. And this is certainly true of the women that I see who are going through menopause and are really having a hard time of it. Um, And it purely is just because of that demand on them still. Uh, So, you know, that that, um, kind of giving yourself permission to have time out and to actually put yourself first is one of the hardest things, but also one of the most powerful when it comes to managing menopausal symptoms. So obviously that's one of the major ways to help reduce this um, symptom of hot flashes in particular. What yep. other sorts of things can women, uh, I guess, reach for or seek out in order to help reduce their hot flashes? Because this is something that certainly all of you know, my patients that I talk to about this have got, it's more the self-esteem impacts, if they could do anything to stop themselves, you know, sweating over everything, as they say, or because I have patients that come into the practice and they'll lie down on the table and start apologizing profusely because they're sweating and, oh, you know, leaving wet patches on everything. I'm so sorry. And, oh, no, oh, you don't have to touch me. You know, I'm I'm so sweaty. Here, give me a towel or something. And I'm just like, (laughs) just don't worry about it. Take a moment, breathe, just calm the farmer fraction and we'll get get through this. It's no different than, you know, people who walk into the practice right from the gym or like you know where my practice is located right off the beach and we honestly could not care less but anyway um the uh fear of that happening is just inducing that stress response anyway so we know that it's going to exacerbate the hot flushes uh so it's kind of a bit of a vicious cycle there and um it's interesting i have uh, a couple of patients who are very um high you know performing in their companies that they have and they're you know experiencing quite a lot of hot flushes and they are just owning it they are telling all of their male co-workers exactly what they need exactly what they want them to do and if they're in meetings and they're getting a hot flush they just go up and they stand up and they open the window and they stand next to the open window and the open breeze and they enjoy that for the few minutes that they need to and then they come and sit back down uh, and i think that bringing that kind of awareness into the workplace i think is just amazing now not all women will be comfortable you know having that kind of frankness with maybe their male colleagues but I think that's really cool. But some practical things to help to reduce the intensity and the um, frequency and duration of the hot flushes is actually quite some simple things. And there are certainly some food changes that we know to be um, really effective, but there's also, you know, some herbal formulas and things like that that you can use as well. So black cohosh, uh, which is a, a herb that is best taken I have found in liquid form is amazing for relieving hot flushes. Uh, Magnesium as well is not to be taken lightly. Um, We know that really good amounts of magnesium has been shown to really reduce the incidence of hot flushes. Now, I don't know if this is a direct hormonal impact or if this is just because the magnesium is actually allowing their body to kind of have that off switch. So they're having that better stress response and adaptation. Um, so, you know, the, there's a bit of a question mark around that. Um, and both of those things are really great for sleep too because we know that um, having night sweats and that insomnia and sleeplessness can be associated with some of these poorer menopausal symptoms. Um, what else? Uh, what are your thoughts on soy? Because that's, you know, everyone sort of talks about things that have yep. phytogenic effect about <laughs> them. Um, yep. And, of course, soy gets, you know, positive 
comments on one side and then it gets really bad rap on another side, um, obviously because it's one of the most you know highly GMO crops on the planet. But <laughs> what, what do you think about soy in the use of uh, its, I guess, consumption to help affect the menopausal symptoms? Um, well, uh, I love I love that because you've totally hit the nail on the head there. It's like it's controversial. No matter what room you are in in any yeah. health space, it, it will divide the room. And in my opinion, I think that if you can get good quality, organic, non-genetically modified fermented soy, and I know that that sounds like a stretch, but it's really not. So, And what I mean by fermented soy is if you can get miso, tofu, or tempeh, which are all fermented versions of soy products, and you can get preferably organic and non-GMO versions of these. Having that a few times a week is awesome. Love um, it. And, and it's also and- giving you a nice dose of protein in there too. So you've got a plant-based protein, which is uh, really effective for maintaining good balance nutritionally when you're trying to deal with all these symptoms. It's always great to figure out ways to cut down on your carbs and sugars and increase quality uh, fats and proteins. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I love tofu and it is kind of one of those really versatile protein sources that you, it will take on any flavor that you sort of cook it with. So, you know, that's really good. But if you're not that into soy, what you can do is add flax seeds to your meals as well. So flax seeds are also part of that phytoestrogen class. Um, and they're also an amazing source of fiber as well. And we know that increasing your fiber is going to help with detoxification pathways. It's amazing for your gut health, but it's also also a really potent hormone balancer. So they're actually really easy ones to incorporate into daily routine when you think about it, isn't it? Just considering the meals you're preparing through the week, adding some supplementation, and of course then the simple things of just making it uh, foods, start making foods with things like, you know, that are great uh basically antioxidants, so anything that you use whole foods for is going to have a really positive effect on menopausal symptoms. Exactly. What I have found is that um, Chinese herbs are really amazing for managing some of these symptoms. Um, and also in terms of the foods, uh, cutting out a few things is just as important as adding in other things. Mm-hmm. So we know categorically that alcohol, caffeine and gluten are going to exacerbate hot flushes. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, ladies. And smoking as well is obviously one of the worst things that you can do. And this will actually bring on premature um, menopause as well. So if you want to really mess with your hormones, smoking will do it. Um, so that's just a few little things there. Um, exercising and having that really amazing cardiovascular health um, will be beneficial. And for women who, you know, we know that it does in the short term can increase hot flushes, something like um, maybe swimming because it kind of negates the effects of that, um, you may enjoy that more than, say, other types of exercise just while you're going through that transition as well. And walking at cooler times of the day, so just getting out yeah. and about, you know, walking in the early mornings or in the evenings, you know, with a partner, it's um, certainly ways to, you know, prevent yourself from working up a temperature based on the external environment. So taking uh, the cooler times to do that is just helpful. It just helps your body moderate your temperature better. Um, yes, and I think, exactly. you know, if you can do things like um, as well, possibly keeping a journal just to record potentially, you know, observations of triggers, things that you notice like, oh, yeah, when I have a particular meal, for example, because some of the spicy foods really tip the balance for a lot of women as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and having really hot showers, just like if you can pick a, 
an event and then you notice one of those hot flashes comes on not too long thereafter, it can really help you understand, okay, what is it that's making your body uh, change and what can you do to help reduce that, uh, I guess, unnecessary elevation of stress response that your body's experiencing. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Okay. So that is um, hot flushes, probably everything you need to know and maybe a little bit more about hot flushes. Uh, and, oh, actually, the last thing I've got to say, just quickly to interject there, is that maca, uh, add it into your smoothies, um, is really amazing for hot flushes as well. Okay. Cool. Like so, it. Yep. Yep. Awesome. All right. So, Ash, do you want to talk about maybe some of the other, like, urogenital symptoms that women experience when they go through this menopausal change? So, what we mean is we're talking about things like, uh, like you said, the vaginal dryness can even be the vaginal tissue atrophy where some of the, the lining of, of the wall of the vagina becomes thinner and less muscular and plump. Mm-hmm. But that can also mean that it actually increases your risks of, of like, microtrauma. Um, to the actual vaginal um, tissue itself, even with like, you know, very minimal um, injury or or trauma, I should say. Um, During this time, it also changes the pH of your vagina. So with those hormonal changes, so it can increase your risk of things like, um, you know, bacterial vaginosis and uh, candida overgrowth as well, or thrush. Um, And it can also um, increase your risk of all sorts of urinary tract issues like urinary frequency, aggravation of like stress incontinence and those sorts of things too. Mm, so definitely and i think the a lot of people um this is the unspoken stuff that comes with menopause isn't it for a lot of women this is not the comfortable conversations no one likes to feel as though their sex life's being impeded by the changes in their body um so this is something that is really important we think this is a conversation that women need to have and uh talking about safe ways and simple solutions a lot of the time for example if your hormones uh in this case are changing the tissue structure the simple solution to deal with this is to increase your hydration boost your water intake mm-hmm. um the cash swing too with that though is a lot of women then complain of the uh, incontinence issues and it means they need to go to the bathroom more frequently so guess what women who are having this concern often do stop drinking water and they you know they hold back they might have it with a a cup of herbal tea in the morning and then they won't drink anything else for the rest of the day so they can get out and about and do all the things they need to do um, without having to rush to the bathroom and then they may not drink again until the evening now (laughs) it's incredibly essential water is the key element in the human body you can live without food but you can't live without water so you've got to realize that we need to find this balance between your hydration and obviously then your um, daily functional needs. And for most of my patients that complain about this, is like, right, there's a twofold response to that. One, we need you to drink more water, but let's deal with the concerns around the bladder incontinence. Um, let's deal with, you know, increasing strength, function and, and structure of the pelvic floor. Let's work on the right things that are going to help you retain uh, your bladder function so that you can drink more water because that in and of itself is going to make all of these symptoms so much better or actually eliminate them. Yeah. And also when we talk about all of these things, a lot of us think that, okay, during um, midlife, your libido should tank and that your sexual function will change as well. And menopause in itself does not decrease your ability to have sex, nor does it decrease your, or should it decrease your ability, your libido or your ability to reach orgasm. 
the things that will decrease those or affect it is hormonal imbalances. Okay, and remember that when we talked about this in part one of, um, you know, Menopause 101 is that the hormonal changes that actually happen at this midlife should actually keep you at that constant, um, you know, input of like what it feels like when you're ovulating. So your libido should be high. And our the human, the body was made to be orgasmic and to be a sexual functioning um, system throughout your whole life. So it doesn't stop at all. So when women describe things like vaginal dryness and really difficult sex and those sorts of things, um, then getting hormonal support is one of the easiest things and it's actually like one of the quickest fixes as well. So you absolutely do not need to suffer with this as well. Uh, one of the things I will tell all of um, my patients is that using something with some really good saturated fat in it like coconut oil can be one of the quickest, easiest ways to actually start to kind of heal and change that tissue already. And then let's make sure your your hormones stay in balance so that you're not getting that vaginal atrophy, um, the dryness and the microtasal trauma as well. So just to clarify that, Andrew, you mean um, coconut oil consumption orally, but also vaginally that you can actually yeah. use it yeah, as a natural yeah, lubricant and to, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously you can, you can drink it, eat it as a, as a great <laughs> health benefits but yes yeah yeah certainly it's a it's a you can use it like a personal lubricant safely but obviously like all of these guidances and advice we give um you don't use i say sensible um application uh make sure things like hands are clean if you're using an applicator of any sort don't double dip it, there's a lot of you know standard personal hygiene practices that we recommend you follow and don't uh, don't you know put at risk you know contamination or any sort of thing so yeah just have a little think about you know the how and the and the which way you plan to to use it and uh to spread it onto your skin um i think as well you know for a lot of women we use lotions creams moisturizers body wash and things like that that can be incredibly drying um, and incredibly dehydrating. A lot of them have an alcohol base in them. So reconsider your self-care products. Certainly we really encourage you to switch to anything that's um, natural, eco-friendly, green, low toxic, no toxic, um, environmentally conscious and safe. Basically, as we always say, if you can't eat it, then you shouldn't be putting it on your skin. Um, And that quite simply means it's because your skin is is a massive organ. It's the largest organ in your body and it absorbs what you put on it so just consider what it is you're putting onto your skin um, and onto your genital areas because your poor little vagina will not thank you if you're putting drying (laughs) drying creams lotions and body washes there yeah, exactly. So thank you for clarifying that, Ash. And I, uh, I totally encourage using it topically and internally within the vagina walls as well. Yeah. Um, but one of the best things that women can do if they're experiencing these symptoms is actually orgasm um, mm-hmm. because female orgasm helps to st- – uh, and any kind of stimulation really helps to actually rise or raise estradiol levels. So remember, that's the good kind of estrogen that you want stacks of, particularly at this transition period. And the orgasm and stimulation helps to increase the blood flow, the lymphatic flow to that area. So this is going to be nothing but good news for your genitals. So I would thoroughly uh, encourage you to do that. And it's funny that all, all women are kind of looking for that 
that Viagra for women at, at this time of your life. And it's been said that the best predictor uh, for midlife sex or midlife sex drive is actually a new partner. <laughs> um, and I, I can't remember we talked about this last time, but that doesn't mean rushing out and leaving your husbands or your wives. What this can mean is actually becoming that new partner for yourself. So the women's, the women's Viagra is actually our brain, right? So our libido is so much based on our sense of creativity and what's happening upstairs rather than anywhere else. Um, so definitely uh, looking into updating some of our sexual programming I think is probably a really good idea. And I think we'll probably leave it at that in, in terms of all of this. We could go into the, this for, you know, for ages, but we'll just leave it at that. I think we need to talk to one of our, you know, Yoni loving sexual healing experts on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, but, um, but, but look, okay, so that's really covered some of the main ones, you know, the hot flashes, um, libido changes, the vaginal dryness, and um, we touched on things like the urinary incontinence and just being aware that it's not a, a reason to reduce your water intake. Um, obviously, urinary incontinence is something we certainly recommend to women either, you know, do some exercise work themselves. Um, yep. Obviously, the classic one where everyone heard of is, you know, practice your kegel, kegel exercises, um, the hold and contract, you know, while you're driving, stopping at traffic lights, just things like that to, to remind you to, to tighten that floor. Um, but if you're really struggling with this, I certainly recommend my patients go to a pelvic floor uh, focused physiotherapist. And there's some amazing ones around um, that really can, can work on that intensively uh, using the tools and techniques specific for this area to just restore that strength and balance yeah agreed absolutely awesome okay um let's talk about one thing that can really affect you know bladder function though and that is hysterectomies mm, definitely now let me kind of just preface this by saying that one of the real issues that i have with hysterectomies is just the way that women are tra- treated within the medical system because our bodies are this like you know medicalized war zone so it's, we always have a problem. There's always interventions. There's always someone who's going to step in and change something. And as far as uh, we're seeing medically, it's all downhill after 40. So once you hit menopause, the first thing that will happen medically is you'll be given HRT until you can't stand it anymore. And then they'll just want to whip out any of those uh, those organs because you don't need them anymore. And the challenge is that it's seen that, you know, menopause is now the end of your youth and your vitality. It's like this dried up road to imminent Alzheimer's and dementia. And then it's all over, which I just think is the worst possible attitude that we can have towards this, this shift and change. And expert gynecologists have a saying that there's no room in the tomb for the womb. Yeah, wow. So there's no room in the tomb for the womb. And then another slogan is that the uterus is for either growing babies or growing cancer. Um, when a healthy uterus is removed, um, it used to be classified or given a diagnosis of CPU, which is a medicalized acronym for chronic persistent uterus. So all that means is that it was still there. It's hanging around too long. What the heck? All that means is that it was still there because that's they're saying there's no room in the tomb for the womb. And I think it sounds ridiculous, right? That sounds absolutely ridiculous. But the sad truth is that every minute of every day 
a woman has to his, has a hysterectomy and only one in 10 of those are for life-saving medical reasons. And that is because this is what we are taught to do with our uterus and ovaries once they're done. So, um, you know, once you're done making babies, they're either for making babies or growing cancer. So that's why they're whipped out. And this um, is certainly like fitting into the picture that I see as well, you know, with my patients when they've achieved their reproductive, you know, state. Do you want to have any more kids? No, great. We'll take that that out now because of things like, you know, histories and dealing with issues like severe, you know, pelvic pains post-pregnancy. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And sometimes we haven't even explored the why they've just got this persistent, you know, pelvic pains. Oh, well, it must be a problem. Let's just pull that out. Um, you know, endometriosis, fibroids, um, even some things like, you know, that uh, post post-birth or postpartum having issues of consistent or persistent bleeding issues, um, not understanding or considering the why behind it. It's just easier to remove something and figure out whether it was a problem <laughs> once it's already done. Um, so, you know, proper investigation, proper consideration of surgery because any time someone enters the body surgically, it should be considered major regardless of whether they do it via keyhole or cut you wide open. Um, yeah. It is still a major procedure. So having the information, um, making a decision based on accurate information is one of the most challenging things, particularly as you've just discussed, Andrea, that if a profession has a mantra surrounding the inadequacy of the human body, uh, particularly in this case, a female body, then how are you going to get a balance? perspective on the I guess the conversation about that well exactly and if a woman is given complete um, informed consent you know she's been told what her options are um, you know the pros and cons and really understands that then I think that's amazing and then she gets to make an informed decision for herself Absolutely. and for some women they will say that having a hysterectomy was the best thing that they've ever done yes mm -hmm. awesome and I'm fully supportive of that but the thing that I don't like is that can you imagine if one in 10 men um, or let's say every minute of every day men were having their testicles removed? Yeah. You know, it's completely unconscionable. It would never, ever happen. And I just – so that is the disparity between men and women's health and I, I really have an issue with that. So – Anyway, we need to look at some of the risk factors that come with having that hysterectomy. Like you said, Ash, it is a major surgery. Uh, it is not something that's, you know, to be taken lightly. There is a long recovery period of at least six weeks afterwards. It completely changes your pelvic um, bowel function. So this is why there's a much higher risk of bladder prolapses afterwards because essentially they've taken out something that supports the back wall of the bladder and they've just taken out the uterus. Um, so now there is actually empty space there, which is why often there is bladder um, uh, prolapses. This is why also women can experience things like rectocele, so where the, the bowel actually also prolapses too and sometimes into the, vag the vaginal cavity. Uh, there can be things like and particularly if women have a history of low back pain that can increase and they can have very severe nerve changes and damage from a hysterectomy as well so this is actually a risk factor going in that they need to be made aware of um, and you know a whole bunch of other things but that's just um, some of the some of the ones that happen often 
Yeah. So I guess, you know, if, uh, let's say, because right now the conversation, we're talking about, you know, some of the cons of hysterectomy. We, we, there are absolutely some benefits, particularly when there's life threatening or life altering situations and quality of life oh, of and health is significantly affected. But before considering a hysterectomy, what should women be doing to decide whether or not that's the right thing for them? Like what information would we need to have given the history, you know, going through menopause and then everything just being out of whack and out of kilter and we discussed all of the side effects and symptoms and some mm. of the options to help um when would a hysterectomy be sort of a, something we need to ask more questions about um look if like you say if it is for life um altering purposes then i would be fully supportive of that um you know my mum had a hysterectomy um quite a few years ago and i think i talked about that in the first um episode that we did on this as well and she was bleeding so badly that she was hemorrhaging and fainting um and you know literally could not leave the house and she is really super happy that she did that um if you know i know if i knew now if I, wait, if I knew then what I know now, <laughs> then hopefully there would have been lots of things that we could have done and changed before it ever got to that point. So I think that not ignoring symptoms, listening to your body, and in particular, if you think you are perimenopausal but you're still cycling, and if you are getting some hormonal symptoms or some irregular cycles or any kind of PMS or period pain or anything that you wouldn't classify as being hormonal balance, then just imagine that that is going to be exacerbated when you do get to menopause. So starting to make some of those really good healthful lifestyle changes then, I'm super supportive of. And then when you are actually transitioning and you you know are in menopause, working with someone who really knows what they're talking about. Um, so find yourself a really great functional doctor um, or, you know, like a specific women's health expert who can help you with these and making sure that you're making the correct lifestyle, dietary and, you know, emotional changes as well and anything else that might need to go along with that. Um, you can certainly be ramping up from starting with um, maybe some things like some herbal intervention if you are experiencing a lot of hormonal into, uh, hormonal imbalances and doing some testing if need be. And then the next level after that would maybe be looking at some bioidentical hormones if necessary. And then if that is not going to cut it, then maybe looking at some hormone replacement therapy. But... It is not a one-size-fits-all. It is not a, you know, take this pill or use this patch for two weeks and switch it over and do this one at the same dose consistently forever <laughs> and this same dose will be the same for you and the next person. You need to test your hormones and have things made according to what you actually need. And I would definitely suggest that do not stay on this for any more than five years because we know that after that time, that is when the risk factors really ramp up and you want to make sure that you know the pros and cons for this first, particularly when it comes to hormone replacement therapy. So I think some people describe it um, the best way to approach either bioidentical hormones, synthetic hormones or hormone replacement therapy is almost like if you need a dusting of hormones or just a little sprinkling of something to top things up to get a little bit of balance for a short period of time while your body catches up or while you're making other lifestyle and other physiological changes, then that's absolutely fine. But make sure that you're working with someone who wants to support that change with you. Beautiful. I love it. So I think uh, that's going to be a wrap for today because there's so much to digest. You know, we, we've talked about some of the big things, the symptomatic stuff, uh, some of the things you can do. And of course, touching now on hysterectomies and of 
you know, as we've said, fully supportive, but make sure you do the homework, make sure you ask the right questions. And uh, if possible, consider if you're sitting in one of those risk factors right now already, consider what things you're going to do today, this week, you know, who are you going to call? Who are you going to get on your health team to start to manage your body's chemistry better? If you're not having luck yourself, if you're not finding you're able to deal with it, um, with all the tips and tricks you've tried already, then do get someone on board who can work with you carefully and closely doing the appropriate testing to find out exactly what your body needs. And like Andrea's said you know a sprinkling or a dusting where needed so that you don't um you know overdose yourself so to speak so you don't uh, flag the chemistry in the wrong direction and i think there's just so much positive possibility with menopause don't you know don't give up don't feel like you're stuck in the rut of all of the you know negatives that come with that transition in your life right now have the self-confidence, you know, to go out there and, and speak your truth, be who you are. Um, tell people you're experiencing menopause, try and break this taboo subject, uh, with like, you know, you've talked about those amazing women at work, just throwing the window open and continuing on the meeting because the more we see that as a normal transition for women, the less we have to hide it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. Um, and ladies, just to finish up, just honour your bodies because this transition um, is uh, something that absolutely should be celebrated uh, because the wisdom that comes with that um, is just, you know, it is unparalleled and there's no other milestone or change in your life that you can get to until you actually get to that point. So that's pretty cool. Okay, so ladies, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We would love to hear from you and we would love to know, have you experienced the menopausal symptoms? And if so, what has worked for you? We know that that's going to help a lot of our other listeners. So make sure you communicate with us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Women. Uh, we're on Instagram as well. So The Wellness Women Official. Um, Dr. Ashley and I also have our own um, social media pages if you want to go and check those out. So on Facebook, uh, Ashley is um, just Dr. Ashley Bond. So find her and then I am just Dr. Andrea Huddleston. Um, I only made my page last week. We would love you if you went and uh, gave us a like and a follow. That will make us feel very loved. Um, But also we want you to make sure that you just jump on and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcast app that you're using. Feel free to give us a five-star rating because we love that and also it really does help to share that message um, with women who really need it. So ladies, until next week, be well. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. What is the ramifications for you if you continue to not know where your food is coming from and not make a hard stand about what you're consuming? Back in 1992, I didn't know how to cook. In fact, I ate really poorly, as many of you would know. But I now love it so much that when I go to prepare something, it becomes magical. Don't want you to be stuck in the, the crap that's happening. Know it, yes. Be aware of it, yes but bring your vibration up so that we can vibrate at a higher level and collectively we might be able to bring everybody up to make those changes. I love preparing it and I know that everyone who's eating it absolutely loves it. Even the bits that they don't want to eat, they love eating them because I love making them. Does that make sense? Cindy O'Meara and Damien Christoph feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. 
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.